The title of the message is Preach the Gospel to Yourself Again and Again. Preach the Gospel to Yourself Again and Again. You'll understand that here in a moment as we look together at these 18 verses. Let's begin reading at verse number 1. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of those things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers or those who draw near perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience consciousness of sins but in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year because it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins wherefore when he cometh into the world he says sacrifice and offering you did not desire but a body hast thou prepared for me And burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do your will, O God. Now above when he said sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offerings for sin, thou wouldest not desire or neither hast pleasure in them which are offered by the law. And then he said, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, so that he may establish the second. By the which will, that is, by this will of God, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering an offering Oftentimes, that is over and over again, the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, that is this man Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth, waiting until his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified whereof the Holy Spirit also is a witness to us for after that he had said before this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days says the Lord I will put my law into their heart and in their minds I will write them and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more now where remission of these is there is no more offering for sin. Since chapter 7, we have been going uh, deep into the contrast of the old covenant and the new covenant, learning that the old covenant sacrificial system was simply a pattern that pointed to the perfect and finished sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We have looked at the earthly priest in comparison to Jesus Christ, who is our great high priest. We have seen the weaknesses of the old covenant in comparison to the 
power of the new covenant. We were even reminded just last week that the earthly tabernacle that we saw constructed in the Old Testament, it was just a figure. It was just a a pattern of the true and heavenly tabernacle which is found in heavenly places above. Now, as we come here to Hebrews chapter 10 and we look closely in here at the first 18 verses, these verses give us not only the conclusion of this theological discussion that we've been having for several chapters, but it is also a summary of what we have been dealing with specifically since Hebrews chapter 7. In fact, in many ways, The writer here in Hebrews chapter 10 is just repeating again what he has said before. These are familiar words, familiar comparisons, familiar verses. Now, if we are not careful when we come to passages of Scripture like this that are repetitive in nature or are familiar or have been touched on already, we might find ourselves tempted to to tune out from it, to, to, to drift away a little bit as if to think, well, we've already covered this, we've already read this, we, we already know this. Let's go ahead and move on to verse 19 and the rest of the book and find out the practical implications of all of this. However, I think it's very important that when we see the repetitive nature of Scripture like this or certain themes as we have been studying together since chapter 7, That it is important in these repetitive texts or these repetitive themes that we stop and we consider the necessity of how important it is to repeat to ourselves again and again and again the truths of God's gospel message. This is exactly what the writer of Hebrews is doing here in chapter 10. He is repeating this for us because we need to have it repeated. He is going over it again because we need to hear it again. And such is the case with the characteristics of God and His beautiful gospel. We need to hear the gospel of God over and over and over again. One, because we never outgrow the basic message of the gospel. You you never, as a Christian, move beyond the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think somehow we've compartmentalized in in our our minds who the gospel is for. We we, we tend to think that, that the gospel of Jesus is just for unbelievers. But friend, the gospel message is not just for unbelievers. The gospel message is for believers. It's the gospel where we begin. It's where we, we start. But as we go on in our journey with the Lord, we, we need to go to the gospel every day. We need to repeat the gospel to our hearts every day. We need to preach it again and again and again. And so that is the thrust of what I want us to see here. How much that we need to hear the gospel again and again. How we need to preach it to ourselves again and again. You'll say, Pastor, that's why I'm here today. I'm here to hear you preach it to me. But it's not just about me preaching it to you. It's about you preaching it to yourself. You realize that is a regular practice for me? I'm ashamed to tell you it hasn't been a regular practice in the majority of my Christian life. But certainly the Lord has done some things in my own life, in my own heart, to help me find the necessity of every day, not just on Sunday when I'm preaching to you and often say that I'm preaching to myself too. 
What I mean is when I'm out on Mondays, I'm preaching the gospel to myself. On Tuesday, I'm preaching the gospel to myself. On Wednesday, I'm preaching it and so on and so forth. This is, this is what we need to understand when we come to these repetitive texts. It's not something to be brushed over. It's not something to be rushed through. It's time for us to stop and say, look, if God put this in here again, it means he wants me to know it even more than I know it now. And so it is with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Over and over and over again, we need to hear the gospel. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves. We need to understand it in its depth. And this is not just something that we find in the New Testament. That this, this idea of preaching God's love and mercy and grace is something that we, we find even in the Old Testament. Consider the book of Lamentations. I was reading this week in my own time with the Lord a couple of Old Testament books and New Testament books. And I was, I was in Romans for the majority of the week and, and uh, in Lamentations uh, also for the majority of the week. But in Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 21, listen to this. Here's what the Bible says. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Now listen to what he's saying. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Now the question is, what is he recalling to his mind over and over again that has brought hope, hope into his soul? Well, the answer is in the very next verse, verse 22, which says, and I'm reading it for you, through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. Because his compassions fell not, great is your faithfulness. What is the writer of Lamentations doing? He is recalling the faithfulness of God to his life. He's recalling the grace of God to his life. The compassion of God. The mercy of God. How there's love and mercy. It never fails. And he says to himself, when I preach this to my heart, when I recall in my mind how much God loves me and how much He has forgiven me and how much He has promised to never let me go, it is in preaching that message to my own heart and my own mind that I have hope in my relationship with God. So it does not bother me when we come to a passage like this that is repetitive in the sense that it's material that we have, we've already covered. Because to me, it further emphasizes the need that we all have by God's gracious design to grow in the gospel and to live in the gospel all the days of our life. Now, we're going to come back to this idea of preaching the gospel to ourselves but what I want us to do at first is see the gospel truths that the writer of Hebrews is once again reminding us of in the summary here found in chapter 10 of the last three chapters. And then at the, at the conclusion of the message, we'll conclude the sermon with some very practical thoughts relating to preaching the gospel to ourselves again and again. So, so write down number one as we, we look into these reminders. The, the first reminder, the, the first message that he's preaching to us again is, 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 is the problem with animal sacrifices, all right? The problem with animal sacrifice. Again, this is nothing new. We, we've been covering this for quite a long time now. And here it is again, again, he is emphasizing the problem with this religious ritual, the problem with this animal sacrifice. And the first and foremost problem with the animal sacrifices under the old system is that verse 1 says of chapter 10 that, that this was only a shadow, that's a big word here, that, that it's only a shadow of the, of the true. Look, look at it there in verse 1, for the law being a shadow, it's, it's not the substance It's not the reality, 
It is a shadow of the good things to come, not the very image of the things. They can never, with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, continually make those who draw near perfect. We understand a shadow. A shadow can tell us a lot. You might see the shadow of a building and get a good idea of its magnitude or its, its unique design. You can see the shadow of a person and, and tell the same. A shadow can tell us a lot, but it's not the real thing. It's not the substance. And so it was with the animal sacrifices under the Old Covenant. These animal sacrifices were always designed to be a pattern of the true sacrifice and the perfect sacrifice that would be fulfilled and finished in Jesus Christ. And so since the Old Testament sacrificial system was only a shadow, he points out several things in these first four verses to remind us of why it is insufficient to remove our sins. First of all, he he tells us that it could never make those who approach God perfect. Did you notice that in verse number 1? He said, it's just a shadow, it's not the real thing. Therefore, those who come year after year, offering after offering, it can never make them perfect, perfect. That's our problem, isn't it? Our problem is we're not perfect. Sin has made us imperfect. And because sin has made us imperfect, we are therefore separated from God. And the problem with the animal sacrifices was as much as they tried to approach God through them, they could actually never reach God because the animal sacrifices could not make a person perfect. And because it could never make a person perfect, verse 2 and 3 tells us it could never fully remove the guilt of sin. Look at it there in verse 2. For then... That is, if these animal sacrifices could have made a person perfect, then they would have never ceased to offer them. They would have just kept on with the system. Because the worshipers, once purged, would have had no more consciousness of sin. So what is he saying here? He's saying not only did the animal sacrifices not make anybody perfect, it also never fully removed the guilt of of their sins. In fact, verse 3 tells us that every time they went to offer these sacrifices, instead of removing the guilt, it actually just added more guilt upon them. Because it was a constant reminder that this was never completed. This was never finished. We've said this over and over again the last several weeks. As soon as the Day of Atonement concluded and they woke up the next day, it was like, we got to do this all over again next year. And so they kept bringing the sacrifices and kept bringing the sacrifices and kept bringing the sacrifices. And every time they made an offering, every time they brought a sacrifice, it was a constant reminder that we cannot be made perfect by this means. And why could they not be made perfect? Why could they not have the guilt of sin removed from their consciousness? Well, because in verse 4, he's very clear. It says the blood of these animal sacrifices could not take away sins. That's why. It couldn't take away sins, therefore the guilt was still there. It couldn't take away sins, therefore perfection, that is righteous perfection before God, was unattainable. 
Look at it there in verse 4. For it is not possible. I mean, it's pretty clear, isn't it? It's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. He says it again in verse 11. Every priest standeth daily ministering and offering many times, that is over and over again, the same sacrifices which can never do what? They can never take away sins. Now, yes, church, it was God's plan. That is, these animal sacrifices. It was God's plan under the old covenant for the covering of sin. But it could not completely cleanse from sin. It could purify the worshipers as they came in obedient faith to follow the ritual that God had established for them. But it could not completely remove their sin because it had to be done over and over and over and over again. This is why verse 6 says that God took no pleasure in these sacrifices. It's interesting, isn't it? In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, God has no pleasure. In other words, His holiness, reconciliation with God, His wrath for sin, it was not satisfied with these sacrifices. Again, in verse 8, He did not take pleasure in these sacrifices because they could not finish the work that needed to be done in order to atone for sin and reconcile man to himself. So the big question, right, is then then why? (laughs) You know, why? If, If God knew this was not going to work, if God knew this could not finish the job, if the sacrificial system was insufficient and problematic from the very beginning, then why did God even institute it? I like what Kent Hughes said about this. He says it so well, as you know, when somebody says it better, I just quote the person who says it better. Here's what Kent Hughes said. He established them as object lessons to instruct his people about the sinfulness of their hearts, his hatred for sin, the fact that sin leads to death, the need for atonement, and his delight in those whose hearts were clean and obedient and faithful. There was nothing, Kent says, appealing to God in the sight of a dying animal. What he did find pleasure in was a contrite and obedient You know, it's interesting. That's exactly what David said in Psalm 51, isn't it? Old Testament error. Old covenant system. We read Psalm 51 intentionally this morning because it parallels greatly with the passage that we're reading here in Hebrews chapter 10. What was it that David said after he acknowledged the sin of his heart? Psalm 51, 16, he says, you do not desire sacrifice. That is, David is saying this to God. You do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. No, the sacrifices of God are this, a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. David said, these, O God, you will never despise. You see... The Old Testament system was about preparing our hearts in faith to see accomplished through Christ what we acknowledge 
we could never accomplish ourselves. That's why every time they slay another lamb, another goat, sprinkled the blood, sacrificed it on the altar, it reminded them that they could never do enough. They could never do enough to be right with God. It was about pointing them to the one who would not only do enough, but would settle the matter once and for all. You see, just as the law showed us our sinfulness, the sacrificial system showed us the only way that our sin could be forgiven. And that was not by us, but by the blood of a perfect man. May we remember this. Because at the heart of salvation, under the old covenant as well as the new, has always been Faith in God's plan. But so many of these Israelites, when they came to the altar of sacrifice, they had thrown faith out the window a long time ago. It was now just about the ritual. It was about the exercise. It was about the routine. But it was a broken heart, a contrite heart, a heart of faith, whether under the old covenant or the new covenant. It's that heart of faith in God's plan that he always receives always not our works not our routines can we be reminded of that in Ephesians chapter 2 this morning that it is by grace we are saved through faith and that not of yourself no it's not of you it's not of you he says it's the gift of God it's not of works lest anyone should boast so it's not in the animals it's not in coming to the sacrifice sacrificial table it's not in keeping every precise appointment of the holy I mean all of that was important in God's design but those in themselves was never going to make them perfect could never do it and so this is the problem of the animal sacrifices it's a furthermore a reminder of the problem with how often in our own lives How often in our own lives we depend upon ourselves and our work and our goodness and our religious routines in hoping and hoping and hoping that God will somehow accept that as being good enough to be right with Him. But how often does our goodness fail us? How often even in our religious routines are we reminded that even in that, even in that, this could never do enough. This is the problem. With animal sacrifices, write down number two, the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice. The sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice. That brings us to verse 5, and I want you to consider it. Notice what he says here in verse 5. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, that is Jesus, when God became man, and the person of Jesus Christ, and he came into the world, here's what he said. Sacrifice and offering thou did not desire, but a, look at this, body you have prepared for me. But a body you have prepared for me. This is, this, is, this is wonderful theological help this morning, church family. Because Jesus did not come into this world to prepare a sacrifice. He came into this world to be the sacrifice. And that is the difference between our great high priest and these earthly priests who are always preparing the sacrifice, always being the one to make the sacrifice ready, but not Jesus. No, Jesus came to be the sacrifice. It says a body 
he prepared for himself. Not, not a sacrifice. This speaks of the incarnation. It speaks of God becoming man in the person of Jesus. And we understand that, don't we? Listen, if you're diving into the truths of God afresh and anew this morning, let me just remind you that Jesus is the God-man. He is 100% God. He is 100% man. And our entire salvation hinges upon that theological fact. That God took upon Himself a body. God took upon Himself a body because it was the only way possible for a perfect sacrifice to be offered for sin. He did not come to make the sacrifice out of something else. No, He came to be the sacrifice because He's the only sacrifice, the only one who could take on a perfect body and live sinlessly and do in God's satisfaction what was needed to bring us to God the Father. And by the way, this was always the will of God. Always the will of God. Verse 7, verse 9, and verse 10. All of those verses say that Jesus came into the world and accomplished this salvation by the will of God. By the will of God. So, God didn't step back from the sacrificial system one day after having already instituted it, and say, oops, that didn't work. I need to figure out a a different plan. I need to come up with something greater and better. No, 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 no. It's not how it went down. The plan of Jesus was the plan, the Scripture says, before the foundation of the world. That the plan was fully written of, according to verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 10, this plan was fully written of in the scroll, in the book, it was written in heaven in advance. So when Christ came, he took away the old covenant so that he might establish the new covenant. Why? Because his sacrifice is sufficient and his sacrifice was always, always the will of God. You see, we are saved today, if that is, if your faith is in Jesus Christ alone. We are saved first and foremost by the will of God. By the will of God. God willed for you to be saved. God willed for His Son to take on the body. God willed for His salvation to be new and fresh and alive in our lives. And so because His sacrifice was sufficient for us by the will of the Father, He says in verse 10 that believers are made perfect by the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You see it there? He says, by that will we are sanctified, that is, we are made perfect through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. He says it again in verse 14. For by one offering hath he perfected forever them that are sanctified, them that are being made holy, them that are being saved. This is wonderful because that was the problem with the animal sacrifices is that no matter how often they kept up with that religious ritual, it could never make them perfect. However, Jesus took on a body and he came and laid his life down in perfection, in sinlessness. And because of his perfection now, guess what? When we believe in him, we are made perfect before God. 
Now remember this, not perfect in terms of no longer a sinner that is free from sin. We're not free from sin. Even Christians have indwelling sin. We have it every day of our lives. And the Bible says, he that hath no sin is a liar, and the truth of God is not in him. We understand that even as Christian people, we are not perfect in the sense of sinlessness. And that's not what he means here. What he's saying is, is that we are free from the guilt of sin. We are are free from the condemnation of sin. That when God sees us, he does not see the sin that condemns us. No, he sees the perfection of Jesus. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. That is why it is not possible for you and I to ever do anything to be accepted by God. Jesus did it all. And therefore we anchor our hope and faith in Jesus, because that is the only way for God to see you and accept you, is if he sees you in Jesus. In Jesus, believers are made perfect, 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 not by our doing, but by Jesus' doing. We also see in verses 11 and 12 that Jesus' one sacrifice of his body, it took away all the sins of believers forever, forever. Again, we've talked about this a lot, but again, we're reminding ourselves. Look at it in verse 11. Every priest standeth daily ministering the offering many times, the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But Jesus, after he offered one sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down on the right hand of God. What the animal sacrifices could not do, even in the multitude of their offerings, Jesus did. In one offering, in one sacrifice, he took away your sins, and he took away all your sins, and he took away all your sins forever, forever. And then after his sacrifice, verse 12 says, Jesus sat down. Why did he sit down? It wasn't because he was tired. Jesus doesn't get tired in that sense, in his glorified sense. Jesus, Jesus sat down because the work was finished. The work was completed. We, we, we've said this over and over again, right? You'll, 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 you'll not find a chair in the earthly tabernacle. Why? Because the priests were never allowed to sit down. The work was never finished. But when Jesus finished the work after his resurrection, he ascended into the Holy of Holies where he made atonement for sin. And what did he do? He sat down. And he sat down in a place of power and authority, reminding us that it is finished. The work is over. I have done everything necessary To save your soul. And then verse 13. The Bible says that Jesus will return to this earth. And he will bring judgment on those who reject him. That's the negative connotation to all of this, isn't it? Look at it there. From henceforth, where he's sitting on the right hand of God right now. And he's sitting there until he is ready to come again and make his enemies his footstool. That is a really articulate, fancy way of saying Jesus is seated on the right hand of God. And when he gets up and returns to this earth, those who have rejected him are in a heap of trouble. When's that going to (laughs) happen? No one knows. Not even the angels of heaven know. Only God it could be today. It could be tomorrow. I don't know. But I think, I think the writer of Hebrews throws it in here because remember, this is a book of warnings. I think he throws it in there one more time that says, today, while you hear your voice, while you hear his voice, 
right now while you have the opportunity. Stop trusting your sacrifices. Stop trusting your goodness. Stop trusting your religion. Trust Jesus because if you reject Jesus, then he's going to come back and he is going to deal in eternal judgment with those who have refused him. You see, animal sacrifices could not remove their sin any more than being a good person or practicing some form of religious discipline can remove yours. The only sacrifice that was and is ever acceptable to God is the sacrifice of perfect obedience. And that is why, friend, that we cannot pay for our own salvation. Because none of us, no one who's ever put feet on the ground outside of the Lord Jesus Christ has lived in perfect obedience. Jesus. And Jesus alone is the only perfectly obedient sacrifice. And this is where salvation takes place in a heart. Salvation is the moment when you, listen carefully, it is the moment when you begin trusting. Jesus Christ alone as the perfect and obedient sacrifice who takes away our sin and by grace makes us his child. That's when salvation happens. It happens the moment We begin trusting Jesus Christ alone as the perfect and obedient sacrifice who takes away our sin and by grace makes us his child. And for those of you who believe this to be true, your salvation is a done deal. It's a done deal. I don't know about you, but even as a Christian, there have been times in my life that I've asked myself the question, have I done enough, though? I mean, I, I... I believe him, but I have a, but I have a done enough. It's a real subtle way of thinking that there's still more dependence on me in order to be accepted by God. But listen to me. If you're a believer in Christ this morning as the only means of, of salvation, it is a done deal. There is nothing more that needs to be done. It is finished, completed forever in Christ. Jesus, which leads us to this final section of verses, verses 15 through 18, and that is the gospel realities of our salvation. And he mentions three gospel realities. Let me just give them to you briefly. Number one, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a gospel reality. Verse, verse 15, whereof the Holy Spirit also is a witness to us. For after that he said, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, say the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and in their minds I will write them. You know, this is a great Trinitarian passage. And it highlights for us the work of the Trinity. The work of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three in one. Okay, three in one. One God. One God. In three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It shows us all here in these 18 verses how that we are saved by the triune God. Think about it. Just, just, just reflect over what we've studied here this morning. We are saved by the will of God the Father. We are saved by the body of God the Son, Jesus Christ. And now he says we are saved by the work of God the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. 
And the Holy Spirit does the internal work of transformation that the old covenant could never achieve. Again, I quote Kent Hughes. He says here, instead of putting his laws on stone tablets, they are placed in the very center of the believer's being so that there is an inner impulse that both delights in knowing his law as well as doing his will. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's why I have a serious problem with those who profess to know Christ but have no desire to actually know him have no desire to actually be obedient to Him and to live for Him. That's a part of the theme of Hebrews, right? It's one thing to say that you believe in God. It's another thing to have it on your heart. Not perfection, but brokenness and imperfection. Repentance and disobedience. Something within the heart that says, I just want to know Him. I just want to be obedient with Him. I just want to do His will, not because the law is hanging over my head. No, I want to keep His law because of what Jesus did by hanging on the cross for me. It's internal. This is a gospel reality. He gives us the Holy Spirit that transforms the inside. Something that the Old Testament sacrifices could never do. It was only external. It was only external. It cannot do the work on the inside. What's the second gospel reality? We see it in verse 17, and that is complete forgiveness. Complete forgiveness. We've seen this verse quite a few times in Hebrews as well, haven't we? And their sins and iniquities, well, I remember no more. He doesn't remember them anymore, church. This was not a reality under the old covenant, but in Christ, our sins are blotted out forever. And so as we talked about last Sunday, we got to do with our sins what God has done with them. Forget about them. Or if you're from New York, forget about it. Complete forgiveness. And then verse 18, rest in Christ. Rest in Christ. Verse 18, now, where remission of these sins are, where forgiveness is, complete forgiveness There is no more a need for an offering for sin. No more sacrifice. No more offerings. Jesus has removed our sins completely. There is nothing more that needs to be done but to rest in what he has done. These are the gospel realities. That is, if your faith is genuine, you have the Holy Spirit living in you, changing your heart to obey Him out of love for Him. If you're a true believer this morning, you've been completely forgiven of all your sin. Forget about that which God has forgotten about. And as true Christians, we can can breathe. We can rest. Knowing that, you mean it's, it's not up to me. I mean, that even though I, I believe that Jesus exists and that God exists, I mean, I don't, I don't have to keep participating in this religious ritual, and I don't, I don't have to do that. And I, don't, I mean, God's not going to strike me dead if I don't, I don't go over here. No. Rest. Because it was never about what you and I could do anyway. It was always about what Christ has done. Now, Let's bring this back to where we began. 
with the resolve to preach the gospel to ourselves again and again. Because listen to me very carefully. I just want to speak to you from my heart. As Christians, there are going to be times in our lives where we find ourselves under unique spiritual warfare. And in these times, we need to remind ourselves of who we are in Christ. What He has done for us on the cross. This is what it means to to preach the gospel to ourselves again and again. But, But not only in times of spiritual warfare. Jerry Bridges inferred that preaching the gospel to ourselves must be at the very core of all our pursuits of God. Think about it like this. He said in in one of his books, when you set yourself to seriously pursue holiness, you will begin to realize what an awful sinner you are. And if you are not firmly rooted in the gospel and have not learned to preach it to yourself every day, you will soon become discouraged and will slack off in your pursuit of holiness. Milton Vincent in his book, A Gospel Primer for Christians, and I recently handed that out to several men during our Men of Theology Bible study here just a couple of weeks ago. But in that resource, he gives us 31 reasons why you should preach the gospel to yourselves every day. Are you ready? We're going to go through all 31. No, you can rest. I'm not going to go through all 31. I can't do that this morning. I can only commend the book to you. It's cheap. It's easily accessible. Something that I find too going often in my quiet time with the Lord. But, but let me at least give you three reasons of my own of why I have made this a new habit in my life of preaching the gospel to myself. I I wrote these down in just reflection of it this week. Number one, I have a daily need to drown out the voices of doubt, the accusations of the evil one, as well as the condemnations of my own heart. I have a daily need to overwhelm those things with the gospel. Is there anyone else among me who struggles with voices of doubt, accusations of Satan, condemnations in your own heart? Sure. It's a part of spiritual warfare. And when those things rise up, what do we have a tendency to do? We we, we hunker down. We, 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 We struggle. But God says overwhelm those things with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Secondly, I have a daily need to remind myself that there is absolutely nothing that I can add to Christ's sacrifice to make me more accepted by God than faith in the gospel of Christ. I have that need. Because sometimes I sit back and I think to myself, there's there's got to be more than I'm supposed to be doing. There's got to be something more that Christ expects of me in order for us to be, you know, right, reconciled, my my sins to be atoned for. So when I open the Bible and I remind myself of of, of the teaching of Hebrews and how that Christ has done this once and for all, it it is a daily reminder that there's absolutely nothing I need to do or nothing that I can do. Christ's sacrifice is sufficient. And then for me personally, I wrote down thirdly, I have a daily need to depend on Christ alone. For spiritual strength, for holy obedience, and for pure motives. And it's this dependence on this gospel work that brings him glory. I found myself in the last year having to wake up every morning of my life and shamefully acknowledging the fact that this has not always been the case. 
the first thoughts in my head when I rise up in the morning are, Lord, I cannot live this day without you. I can't do it. And it's preaching the gospel to myself as a reminder that I can't do it of my own strength. And I wonder how many of us are struggling today because we've been trying to do everything in our own strength. The gospel reminds us not only can we not do it, but we have the ability in Christ and His power to achieve everything that He wills for us. But the question is, what does this look like, right? It's one thing to say, preach the gospel to yourself every day. Does that mean you set a podium up in your living room, open the Bible, look in the mirror and just preach away? Again, Jerry Bridges says this, let me quote him, to preach the gospel to yourself then means that you continually face up to your own sinfulness. And then flee to Jesus through faith in his shed blood and righteous life. It means that you appropriate again by faith the fact that Jesus is fully satisfied. He is your propitiation. And that God's holy wrath is no longer directed towards you. Now my process, my process as I am learning this is threefold. When I preach the gospel to myself every day, the first thing I do is I acknowledge the reality of my sin, both known and unknown, known and unknown, and I confess it to God. You know, there's the sins that we commit that we know. There's the sins because of indwelling sin that we commit that we're not even aware that we've committed them. And so to preach the gospel to myself, I recognize that I'm, I'm, I'm a sinner. I still sin. I still fall short of the glory of God. So every day of my life, I'm acknowledging that. I'm, I'm, I'm reminding myself of my own weaknesses and my own frailties. And as I'm acknowledging them, I'm confessing them to the Lord. The second thing I do is I preach Scripture to my own heart that grounds me in the truth of God's promises. Especially when those voices of doubt and accusations come and my heart begins to condemn me. And then when I'm overwhelmed with God's holiness and the fact that I am so unholy. It'll get you down when you begin to think such introspectively. So what do I do? I have to go back to Romans 8 and remind myself, Jonathan, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And when I think about my frailties as a parent, as a husband, as a pastor, when I see how I've fallen short, how could I do this? How could I think that? How could I screw it up once again? I have to go back to 1 John 1, 9 and say, Jonathan... God said if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Yeah, 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 Father. But, but, but what about that one big thing over there? But I, say, I can't seem to get past it. Oh, no, no, no. Remember Hebrews, your sins and iniquities. He doesn't remember them anymore. So you need to stop remembering them too. It's a daily preaching to ourselves. And we used to make fun of people who talk to themselves. But it's actually some of the most biblically helpful psychology from the Word of God that you talk to yourself every day. That you preach to yourself. So, so I acknowledge my sin, both none and unknown. I confess them to God. I preach scriptures to my heart that ground me in the truth of God's salvation. That even when I, I mess things up, He still loves me. He still accepts me. He still forgives me. And then here's the third thing I do. I sing. I sing of his gospel throughout my day. Now, I do this privately because I'm not a good singer. 
And a lot of times it's when I know nobody else is in the office, I'll come in the auditorium and I'll pull up a song that has lyrics on it and I'll just walk up and down the aisle and, and sing. Sometimes I stand here with a guitar and just try to be Austin for a little bit and just sing. I'm trying to take the truth of God in song as a constant reminder in my own heart, not just when I'm walking up and down the aisles in my private time with the Lord, but when I'm riding down the road, I'm singing of the gospel, I'm singing of His truth. And it's amazing how many of those lovely hymns that we cherish so much have, have, have often caused us to grab hold of His gospel truth once again, you know, once again. I just found myself this week singing a song that we haven't sang in a really one long time. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow. That makes me white as snow. Do you sing the gospel to yourself? This is a part of preaching it. Acknowledging who we are, preaching the Bible to ourselves, singing His gospel. We don't need to look at a passage of Scripture like Hebrews chapter 10 and think, man, I should have just stayed at home. I've already heard this before. No, you need it. And you need it over and over and over again. Preach the gospel every day of your life. Preach it to yourself. And you know what will start to change? When you start preaching it to yourself, you'll be amazed at how much you value preaching it to others. So our text today is not just a repetitive passage. It's an opportunity to preach the gospel to ourselves again. To remind ourselves of what Christ has done for us and where we stand with Him and in Him, if indeed we have called upon Him as our Lord and Savior. So may this not be a passing moment. For number one, if you are hinging on any earthly sacrifice... Any earthly sacrifice to make you right with God, I would examine your heart this morning and make sure, and make sure that you have come to God the right way through Christ and Christ alone. Because regardless of your religious past, it makes no difference that you believe in the existence of God, that you've been involved in this church or that church, and you've went through the religious rituals, you've attended the services and the masses, all that, that doesn't mean nothing. It means nothing, because there's nothing that you could ever do to make yourself right with God. It's about saying, forget all of that. Forget this religious person I used to be, or all these good deeds that I try to do. All of that is filthy rags compared to God. Lord, I am coming to you, and I am trusting your righteousness, not my righteousness, to make me right with you. And when you do that, you know what happens? You get saved. Are you saved? Have you truly trusted the righteousness of Jesus? Or are you still hanging on to your own righteousness? And Christian, when the voices of doubt and the accusations of the evil one and the condemnations of your own heart start creeping up in your life, you better have a good grasp of the gospel. You say, well, I'm not there today. Well, start learning how to preach the gospel to yourself today because one day you're going to wake up and you're going to need to know that message. And you're going to be ready to preach that sermon because this is how Satan loves to work. He wants to cause you and I to doubt the goodness of God, therefore paralyzing us from his purposes. Preach the gospel to yourself again 
and again and again and again. Let's stand together for prayer.